alone are my living hope.
Praise the Lord. You can be seated. would like to officially welcome you here to First Baptist Church. We feel that our church is a church where we live life together under the Word of God. So we're glad you're here. If you are a first-time visitor, we would uh, welcome, ask if you would take uh, a card that you'll see in front of you. I don't think I'm on, am I? A little bit, maybe? Testing. Can y'all hear me now? Good. All right. Uh, if you will take that card and fill it out and drop it in the offering plate as you leave, we would really appreciate a record of your visit. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Good to worship the Lord. Glad you're here today. This past Thursday was Veterans Day, and a real close personal friend of mine, I tell you, I'd jump in a foxhole with him anytime, any day, is uh, here today, and he served... Uh, nearly 11 years in the Air Force. His name is George Arrington. He's sitting right here, and I'm going to ask him to come pray our opening prayer and just think about our veterans and have him come and pray. And we have Joseph Brooks here. He's visiting from Alabama. You know, I pastored in Alabama for nearly eight and a half years, and a few people there still love us, right? <laughs> and then we got Rusty Sudoff that's sitting beside George. That's his son-in-law. What now? Amen, that's right. I still love Natalie. But Rusty married George's daughter, uh, Anna. So uh, I did their wedding, actually, participated in that. And he still loves me, even though, you know, right? So George, would you come say a prayer for us? Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to lift up the men and women that serve our country. Uh, and especially the ones that paid the price for all of us to have the freedoms that we have. Uh, it's good to have the freedom to worship you and praise your name. Uh, as we come this morning... Uh, if there's anyone that don't know you, we pray that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior today, and we'll be quick to give them all the honor and glory for it. We'll be quick to give you all the honor and glory for it. And uh, just be with Brother Philip as he brings the message, and I just pray that you would draw each one of us closer to you and help us to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, just a couple of quick reminders, guys. We've got uh, our shoebox ministry uh, wraps up, if you will, next week. All those boxes have to be in next Sunday, so please be aware of that. And then um, back to Bethlehem, uh, if you grab one of these uh, invite cards and hand those out as to people you see. The one, also, a really good idea is just to have one on your person at all times because somebody might call and say, hey, tell me about Back to Bethlehem. Well, you can say, well, go to this phone number, go to this website, make the call, uh, click that website, and you can get all the information, get registered, all that type of stuff. So, And, of course, we always have room for walk-ins, but we want you to have every opportunity to come. So please uh, get those uh, invite cards out in the community. Patty says we got lots of calls coming in, so praise the Lord. Um, let's sing together as we uh, uh, 
worship today, this great, great reminder of who God is, we will remember. Make this your prayer. Lord, we'll remember you today. We will remember. said you love me would never need me and 
You may be seated. The choir and praise team orchestra would love to teach you a song. We did this in a, as a choir and orchestra several years ago, and it just came to mind as Philip was preaching on Ephesians 4 because everything under, under Ephesians 4 falls under the umbrella, walk worthy of your calling, right? And so we're just going to teach you this little song. Hopefully you remember it and, and think of uh, walking worthy as we sing it today. like this. May I walk worthy of the cross, worthy of the cross. May I glory in the sacrifice you made. Lord, may I never be ashamed of the cross that bears your name. My richest gain, I count it all as so much of the character of God. We see it in Isaiah. We see it again in Revelation. The, the thrice holy theme, not just God is holy, He is holy, holy, holy beyond our comprehension, beyond our imagination. This is the God we're praising today. This is the God we're worshiping today. This is the God we serve every day during the week. Amen. Beyond our wildest dreams, He is holy and perfect.
Another great song that reminds us of God's character is that he is God alone. I love the subtitle. It says, parentheses, not a small g, God. Don't ever make the mistake of comparing God to another small g, God. There is no comparison. Amen?
and you are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, and you are God alone. Lord God, we give you praise that in the good times, in the bad, the position of you being sovereign king never changes. Praise God for that. And Lord, we can have full assurance and, and, and hope and trust and faith because you're unchanging. We give you praise, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Growing up in a small town of Bowman, Georgia, in a little Baptist church called Bowman Baptist Church, we had about 900 people, including cats and dogs, all thrown in there, a little small town. But growing up in that small Baptist church, I remember distinctly something that's indelibly placed on my mind regarding hymns of the faith and the ones we used to listen to that kind of undergird our theological foundation and, and our walk with Christ. And one such hymn is called Trust and Obey. You remember that one? That's a good thing for people to hear right after you get saved. That God intends you to trust and obey. John Samus wrote that hymn around 1875. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. As we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. It's a good thing for us to remember, right? Trust and obey. You know it? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I probably would have tried to work out the word happy to joy. Because happy is dependent on happenstance. Joy is independent of any circumstances. Why? Because our joy is in the Lord. But the fact is, we are told in Psalm 1, happy is the man. Blessed is the man. So in right terminology, we certainly understand that. But we, last week, began to talk about what a walk looks like. And the fact of the matter is, all the indicatives of chapters 1 through 3, all these incredible statements of fact, based upon what God has done, now becomes uh, given, they're now given to us in imperative modes. In other words, folks, the reason you can trust and obey is because all that God has done for you. I should, Galatians 2.20. Does this verse not just echo in your mind? I am crucified with Christ. Check this out. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not I that lives. But Christ who lives in me. Think about this. The Christian life you live, folks, is not a demand on you. Singularly, it's a demand upon the Christ that lives in you. you. You live it out because Jesus Christ already lives in you. So all these indicatives are coming to roost upon us because God has done all these things. We respond with application. So Chapters 1 through 3 is about the gospel explained. Chapters 4 through 6 is the gospel applied. So, last week we set the stage by studying in depth verse 1. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
Look at the text. Let's read it together. Let's just go down through verse 3 this morning. We read all 16 verses last week. You knew I would never preach 16 verses in one setting. But here it is. And I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And here's our emphasis for this morning. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If you will recall, we worked last week to establish an outline that we'd work off of. And you have that in your bulletin. We have this divine calling that we're called by God to walk worthy of. And then today, we want to think about... This particular walk in the reference of the manner of how it looks. And what I've said and and the division I've given you is we are united in Christ-like conduct. Which I hope that you would think about Jesus when you hear words like with all humility and gentleness. I think that we should think first about the Lord Jesus and these ethical patterns that have been given to us based upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So... Is the Christian walk about ethics and morality? We would say, absolutely. But I'm not so sure that we would come away from chapters 1 through 3 without already knowing what Paul says in chapter 4 to think first about unity or to think first about ethics as far as our relationships with one another. But folks, let me reiterate this. God cares about how the church treats one another. And so that's how he begins this section. This walk deals with attitudes. It deals with dispositions of our hearts and relationships with one another. Is the internal moral practice after you've been saved important? Absolutely. But there are some other ethical things that we have to think about if we're going to truly be a body that lives life under the Word. There are things that we have to think about. This walk deals with attitudes and dispositions. So, This walk has a vertical element to it because God has saved your soul. Yes, there's a vertical, but there's also a horizontal element to living out this walk. So here, again, attitudes, dispositions, are and relationships are paramount to Christian ethics lived out in church life. It's so important. What's the basis of this? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14. Check it out. For he himself is our peace. Just stop and think what it cost for Jesus Christ to buy your peace with him. Right? We have peace with him. God has wrought this peace by the cross through Christ. So look at what God has done and walk in such a way that peace is preserved. You preserve and you promote what God has already done. What God has established. Okay, we established that first key last week of a healthy church. And that is a healthy church will walk worthy of our divine calling. In other words, we are united together as a church because of the calling to which you've been called. That's what unites us together. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 to learn how to walk worthy. What does a worthy walk look like? First, we are united in Christ-like conduct. Now, I figured something out this week. 
this teaching kind of gets under your skin, doesn't it? When we start hitting on some of these things, it's like the Lord is just, boy, he's taking the lid off and he's just getting, he's eating our lunch. As we use the expression sometimes when you're preaching, Paul is plowing right up beside the corn, right? He's really digging into us about how we think about people. What are our relationships? What are our dispositions? And the very first one out of his mouth after he says, walk worthy, which this phrase, with all humility, is connected directly to it. And here it is, with all humility and gentleness. Notice how then he picks up with another prepositional phrase he's used already, with patience. Why does he say, with all humility? And why doesn't he say, with all humility, with all gentleness, and with all patience? Because humility and gentleness are words that are really tight together in their meaning. So in other words, with all humility and gentleness needs to be looked at together, and then it is with patience. The word humility is a very long word in the Greek. And I'm not going to pronounce it for you in the Greek because I want to make sure you think I'm humble. That was good. No, seriously. That, it is a long, long word. But humility means a humble attitude and a lowliness of mind. You know, it can be translated modesty. The exact wording of this Greek word is used by Paul in Acts when he is teaching the elders of Acts about some important things. Uh, I'm sorry, the elders of Ephesus. So in Acts 20... He asked for the elders of Ephesus to come over to Miletus. And here, here's what he says about his own ministry. Chapter 20, verse 19. See the same word. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So the word is conveying the opposite of high-mindedness. It's conveying the opposite of haughtiness or pride. Now, I thought long and hard about this, but the best way for me to describe humility in the Bible and the proper view of oneself would be for you to consider your own sin in light of the holiness of God. All right, before you brush over that and say that's just another cliche the pastor gives us, think about that. What does it really mean to have biblical humility? You're not going to know that until you see the magnitude of your own sin and the absolute holiness of God, as David said, is trebled. It's a Hebrew of superlative. It's not enough just to say God is holy. You got to say God is holy, holy. It's not enough just to say God is holy, holy. You have to say all three because He is holy. And in order for us to understand our own condition in humility, we must, by necessity, think about how holy our God is. And then we see our own sinfulness, just like Isaiah did. In Isaiah chapter 6. So, when we say the word humility, this is not some kind of superficial, self-effacing deprecation of who we are and what we are. We recognize in humility that we are sinners before a God who is absolutely holy. And the result of that will be biblical humility. Biblical humility never sees itself or the person, self, at the center. In order to have biblical humility, you can't see yourself at the center. Biblical humility never sees self as the most important person in the room. If you walk into a room and you got the attitude that, hey, 
This is my world, and you're just walking in it. Something's wrong, folks. Are y'all listening to this? I can go ahead and tell you, you're not the most important person in the room. And I'm not either. Right? So if you've got that attitude, something's wrong. Biblical humility values others and does not see oneself as better than others. Y'all see how this teaching kind of gets under your skin? When I started teaching and writing this out about humility, I'm like, Lord, can I move on? But the more I thought about moving on, the more I thought about it. Did you know that this word humility in the Greco-Roman world, that means when Paul would have written this in the Greek language, this term humility was not seen as a virtue. As a matter of fact, you have to look long and hard to even find the term used in Greek literature at all. But when it is used, when it does appear, it is used in a derogatory and negative connotation. Why? Because in their thinking, pride was what should be valued, not humility. Humility was actually seen as weakness. I'd say that we have a similar perspective in our world today about humility, don't we? We hear so much about the concept of self. More so right now in 2021 than I can ever remember in the history of our world. Everything is about self-esteem and self-image and self-love. By the way, how many secular psychologists write books on humility? Hmm? How many seminars have you gone to on the issue of humility? How many books do you find in the self-help section on humility or how to be humble? Well, here we have a New Testament perspective. And that New Testament perspective is lowliness of mind, humble in attitude. And it, it is something, folks, that ought to mark our lives as people who walk worthy of our calling. So this is vitally important. Have you ever heard or read Philippians chapter 2? It says, let this mind be also in you that was in Christ Jesus, who did not consider it robbery to be equal with the Father. He didn't grasp his equality with the Father as something to be held on to, but made himself of no reputation, coming in the form of a servant. He humbled himself, even to death on the cross. Is that not our paradigm, right? Is that not, that should, our thoughts should go to this. Before that's even said in Philippians 2, the kenosis is called, what does it mean for God to, for Jesus to empty himself? Well, it wasn't the subtraction of deity. The emptying was the addition of humanity. He took on me and you. That's what humility is called. He took on our, our, our flesh, ourselves, And identified with us. But just before that, in Philippians 2, chapter 3, here's what it says. Let each esteem others higher than themselves. Not out of selfish deceit or vain glory. But in humbleness of mind. And then he says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. So, is this important? We, We better believe it. In Colossians 3, when he starts talking about humility, the picture is... That it ought to mark us and our hearts by putting off and putting on humility. And then in Philippians 2, which I've expounded upon, it's just looking at Jesus and being like him and regarding others more important than ourselves. Two times God says in the book of Proverbs, he says it twice, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility does not come by being filled with self, it comes by being filled with God. Right? What does it say in Ephesians 3.19? 
We, we looked at that the other day. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Folks, don't you want God to be at home in every room of your life? Right? Remember that illustration when he goes into every room of your life. What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of Christ? It means that he is pervasive in every area of life. The fullness of God. Well, we need him to be pervasive. We need to learn how to cultivate godly biblical humility. We all need this. In order for this church to be a church living life under the word of God, Paul says here, this is important. Keller says, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Right? We're just, uh, here here we are. The irony is that we all think we are at least a little bit humble. We're just too humble to admit that. Right? I mean, let's just think about this. We are all born thinking that it's our world. Everybody else is just walking through it. Why? Because we're born extremely arrogant. You know this if you've raised kids. Uh, Woo! Vipers in diapers. Right? (laughs) It doesn't take long to figure out that in their mind, this is their world. Right? Doesn't take long at all to figure this out. So, humility is hard because we're born arrogant. We're all born thinking that this is our world. We think that we're smarter. And we think that we're better than other people. You know full well I'm telling the truth, right? Don't look at me so spiritual. I can tell how you're looking smug. Yes, we know this. Just stop and think how quick we are to think that we know someone else's heart. Boy, you Baptists are bad at this. I'm bad at this. Think how quick we are to think we can discern someone else's motives. Think how quick we are set to set ourselves up as the judge over another. Why? Because you think that place belongs to you. That's why we do these things. We can't have this attitude. If we're thinking more highly of others, then this attitude cannot, the attitude of looking and judging and and viewing things from our own perspective without thinking of others. So, is humility important to the unity and body of Christ? Well, it is. If you flip over to Romans, you don't have to turn, but just listen to me. In the Bible, we, believe, we say that spiritual gifts are given in fours and twelves. What does that mean? Ephesians 4 will give you spiritual gifts. And guess what? We're in that chapter. And 1 Peter 4, fours, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, and twelves. Romans 12, and what's the other one? 1 Corinthians. Oh, I told you. 1 Corinthians 12. So fours and twelves, you can always learn that. But here's how Paul explains this when he runs into the gifts. Chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And then he moves into using these gifts in the body of Christ. Folks, how we serve in this church begins with that thought in our mind that I'm not the most important person in the church. Y'all, y'all tired of this humility stuff? We all need a good dose of the character of Christ. We need his character to pervasively influence every area of our lives. By the way, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Isn't that awesome? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. 
Anybody tired? Burdened down with difficulties? In the context, the Pharisees told everybody, well, here's the list of laws you've got to do. And Jesus said, here, I'm going to tell you what the law is. Know you're a sinner and come to me and you'll find rest. Right? Look, folks, that's, that's, that's it. There's nothing that humbles us more than when we see our own sin. In reality, except for the grace of God, so go I, you, everybody else. We're all made of the same stuff. And no one is better than anyone else. Even the best that we have to offer our filthy garments before the Lord. Think about this. 1 Corinthians, there's some argument going on between, I mean, who should we follow, Apollos or Paul? And then there's, they're jockeying, not Paul and Apollos, but people are thinking about this gift and that gift. And here's what Paul would say to us in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. It is God alone who causes the difference. And, and he reminds them, what do you have that you didn't receive from God? Oh, that makes us stop and think, doesn't it? That, that addresses everything. That removes all ground of boasting because whatever you have, God gave it to you. Right? Okay, what about gentleness? I'm moving on. Gentleness. Well, this addresses the focus of being mild. I think the best word is courtesy. It is considerateness. It's the idea of courtesy. Andrew Lincoln says it involves the courtesy the considerateness and the willingness to waive. All right, here we go. Wave one's rights that come from seeking the common good without being concerned about our personal reputation or gain. Well, is that hard to do sometimes? With all humility and gentleness. It means that we are to be courteous and considerate. Are we willing to waive what we think are our own rights for the common good? Now, is this common today in our world? I think what's common in our world is just to stomp on people and run over them if they don't believe like you do. Right? This is also a fruit of the Spirit. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is, right? Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. Chapter 6 verse 1 speaks of the spirit of gentleness. So just as humility is a grace that needs to be carefully cultivated in our lives... Gentleness is something that we need to pray about. We need to consider this. We need to cultivate it. We could call gentleness an, inter, an, an interrelational grace because we're talking about relationships. Do you know it's kind of hard to be focused on yourself all the time and be focused on others, isn't it? So if we focus all the time on ourselves, is it likely that we're going to ever focus on anyone else? So we can act in such a way that we insist on our rights and thus we run over people. Well, that's not showing gentleness. Gentleness considers where the other person is and where they're coming from. And there is no doubt that these two graces are given over and over and over in regard to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know about y'all, but if it's like Jesus, I need to cultivate it. I need humility and gentleness. Make sure these attitudes, these dispositions are in your heart. And you respond accordingly. These are imperatives. With all humility. Right? With, uh, with all humility and gentleness. Now, are we always going to get along? I mean, in family life, do you always get along? Mm, don't lie. You're in church. Right? Right? Do you think that Paul assumed 
that we would have difficulties in relationships? Well, as you read this text, with all gentleness, humility and gentleness, if everything was always easy, would you ever need patience? And if you always got along in interpersonal relationships, would you ever need to put up with people? Bear with them. Bear under. Put up with them. No. So at this point, the writer is assuming that we are going to encounter difficulties in our relationships. And notice it says with patience. Bearing with one another in love. So patience implies the opportunity for impatience. Anybody had any impatience lately? Right? Bearing up or putting up with somebody indicates that there's someone who needs to be put up with. And this happens often, right? I want to remind you that at this point, Christianity is family life. Again, think about your own filial relationships, familial relationships at home. Well, family life is lived with other people in the church. And they're sinners, just like you are. No amens? Where's your humility? Seriously, think about this for a moment. When you're dealing with a marriage, you got one sinner over here, a man. Got to categorize that today. And one over here, a female. And when they're married, you got two sinners living under the same roof. Lest you've forgotten that. You figured it out if you've been married over a day, right? (laughs) It's two sinners living together under the same roof. Well, do you love your family? Well, yeah, husbands love their wives, wives love their husbands, children's parents, even in-laws, Betty Sue, right? Yeah, we do. You love them. But if we're honest, conflict is never far away. I mean, everything can just be going hunky-dory, and all of a sudden, woo, in relationship, here we go, forbearing love, bearing under, patience. You love them. But if you're honest, conflict is never far away. What is true in our earthly families is also true in God's family. This particular church. Think about this. The people sitting around you in this worship center are your brothers and sisters in Christ. The same peace that Christ bought for you on the cross is the same peace he has bought for your brother or sister if they're saved. Think about this for a moment. The peace that God has granted you The peace with God, that's a necessity in order for you to be saved, leads to the peace of God. And how can we say, how can we look at the cross and think about the peace that we have with God and look at our neighbor, look at our brothers and sisters and not have peace toward them? So, the bond as well that you share with people in this church is sometimes a whole lot stronger than the bond you have with your family. Why? Because we, have, we all have family members that don't know Christ. And the bond that we share in here is, is even greater and deeper and more abiding than any flesh and blood union. So God has put the family together. But guess what? The family God has put together, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. Uh, we say wrong things. We do wrong things to each other. Amen? Because we're sinners, we're going to irritate and we're going to annoy one another. You're going to rub one another the wrong way. That's just family life. Knowing this, your walk should not only be with humility and gentleness, but it must be accompanied with patience and forbearing love. All right, patience, here comes from the Hebrew word, which means a long nose. Don't you be looking at your neighbor. All right, seriously, 
The idea is that when you are angry, your nose gets red. So we, we have a telling. We know when you're mad. You hear things like flaring of the nose. Somebody, but the nose gets red. Well, our God is referred to with a long nose. Why? Anthropomorphic terms, right? God doesn't have a nose. Christ did, right? Son of God did. But in reality, God is invisible. But these are terms to help us understand that God does not come to wrath quickly. All right? Our God is long-suffering. That's the idea. So this characteristic connotes being able to bear up under provocation. One lexicon dictionary, one lexicon says this. It is the state of emotional calm in the, in the face of provocation or misfortune and without complaint or irritation. How y'all doing with that one? Wow, man. It seems to me that the number one thing to do in America is complain. We get highly irritated. If you don't believe me, just follow somebody in our church down the road when they're driving their vehicle. And you say, oh, that's just godly road rage. Yeah, whatever. So think this. This is a pretty high ideal, isn't it? A state of emotional calm is difficult for all of us. Even without people being around. But then you put in people. Well, our God models this kind of, uh, this kind of patience for us. I'm eternally, eternally grateful that God has been patient toward me. When Moses wants to see the glory of God, he passes by and it says God is slow to anger. Bounds in love and truth. Is it not the kindness of our God that leads us to repentance? The bottom line today is the only reason you're here today is because God has been patient with you. The only reason you're in this auditorium today is because God Almighty has been patient with you. Have you ever prayed, Lord, why are you so patient with me? If I would have been you, I would have killed me years ago. I, I know we laugh, but folks, think about how patient God is toward us. It is the patience of God that brings us here today. Some of us have sinned. Listen to me clearly. Some of us in this room have sinned way more grievously against God since you became a Christian than you did before you were saved. And you know it, and I know it. But what is one of the things that we lean upon? It may not be true, folks, because God's patience can run out. But we still, we, we bank our hope in the patience of God that will be changed for tomorrow. Just think of this for a moment. So in your walk, you have to walk with patience. And again, patience is used in the Bible in a lot of different contexts. But in this context, this is being patient with others. Again, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Why do we need to walk with all patience? Because the life doesn't always work out the way you want it to. I heard some of you husbands before say, if my wife would just do what I tell her to, everything would be all right. Right? Life doesn't always go the way you want it to go. Let me tell you what the bedrock is in the midst of that. God's absolute sovereignty. It becomes the bedrock for me to show patience. Or if I'm in a trying time, how can I endure? Well, it did not come into my life by accident. I have a king who reigns over this world. And if it's in my life, and I'm suffering, or there's an interpersonal relationship that's not right, then I know full well that God allowed it to come to fruition. It's there for a reason. God is working something out, right? He's king. Patience is required in our relationship with others. 
Just like what life won't always go your way, people do not always go your way. You know, thought about this. Other people are inconveniences. You ever thought about that? If I could just pastor without people, man, I'd, I'd have it made, right? But if you love people, you don't have a choice. You, you boil it all down and your inconveniences have a first, middle, and last name. Yeah, right? They're inconveniences. They're people. And they do things that annoy you and irritate you and hurt you. And that's why Paul says you gotta, you got to walk in patience. Does this make any sense? This means yes. This means no. If you're confused, just go. Right? It ought to make sense because it makes sense in the text, right? We need to cultivate this grace. Folks, if you don't cultivate this in the life of the church, you're going to be the most miserable church member in the history of the world. Because you can't control what happens, nor can you control people. But you can control your patience, right? We need to cultivate this. That's no way to live the Christian life if you're always walking around being an impatient person and not feeling like God works in your relationships. William Hendricks states it like this, In view of the fact that God has been so long-suffering toward me, even though in his holy eyes my sin must stand out far more clearly than does my brother's blemishes in my own eyes. Wow. And then he says, I must surely, based on that, be patient with others. So the next time you're challenged to be patient with someone, always seem, he's that person that always seems to say the wrong word, do the wrong thing, act the wrong way. You can even see it on his facial expressions, right? That one who's the ultimate inconvenience into your life. I want you to remember this. That's what I am like a thousand times over in the eyes of a holy God. That's what Hendricks is trying to get to, right? If the God of heaven can show patience toward me and my sins, and they're magnified in the holiness of God's vision, right? Then how can I not be patient with another person? This is part of our family. You got, got time for one more? Finally, our walk should be marked by bearing up with one another. And notice how he qualifies, in love. So this is a participial phrase. It means to endure, bear with, or put up with. And it is also given in the context of enduring suffering or persecution. And in love begins to be the qualifier or the manner that we bear up under one another. It's the basis of mutual forbearance. It means to fully accept them in their uniqueness. Did y'all know that some of you guys are weird? Right? It's to bear up under with uniqueness. Weird annoyingness, including their weakness and their faults. Here's what Paul would say. Just flipping back one book, I'm sorry, over one to Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. Listen to how Paul explains this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, again, God has done something, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord God has forgiven you. So when he moves here, he actually is putting up with one another, bearing up with one another in love. There will be people in our lives that have flaws. They have weaknesses. They have sins. They're quirky. They have personality traits that you don't like. They have habits that grate on your nerves. And they rub you the wrong way. And in case you missed the point, it's you. And me. All of us fit this. Natalie has this, I don't know, what is it, maybe 
two years ago or so. I'm just, I was standing in the, I, I, I get in her space when she's trying to get, put her makeup on. Ablutions. You know what that means? No, you don't. Put your face on, you know, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, she's trying to do that. And she said one to me that she said, I wish I had a magic wand. And I said, what for? She was going, I'd make you disappear. And nowadays, when she's irritated at me, she just walks around with, Lacey, you can appreciate this, right? She walks around with this wand. She's like, so I know, I know what's going on, right? The gall of that woman to want to get rid of me. I mean, right? Now it's not permanently, I hope, but, but my wife has the right to point out things in my life that become painfully aware that they're true. Right, Jeffrey? Wait. We all get this, right? We all understand. But look, we all have personality quirks. We all are irritating. And this is not a one-way street. Unless you have forgotten this. So you have to bear up with one another. Why? Because some people in the church feel like if everybody was like them, our church would be just great. Well, you have to bear up. Now, qualifier. This is not a Matthew 18, 15 thing, okay? That means if someone has done something against you and you have to go to them and get that right with a brother or sister, okay? In other words, I'm trying to tell you there's a difference between Matthew 18, 15 and all the sins in your life and quirkiness and personality. Y'all get that? Because if you're not careful, what will start a sin sniffer squad at our church, and you're just going to sniff it out of everybody else what sins they've got and quirkiness. No, you're not, you're not allowed to do that because I'm telling you, you've got a two-by-four that could reach from my eye over there to that balcony in your own eye, right? So we get this. There's a difference between being irritated, annoyed, rubbed the wrong way, person's sins, their quirkiness, and whatever that doesn't quite fit Matthew 18, 15 when your brother sins against you in a certain way and you have to go to them to get that right. Many times... We respond too much with Matthew 18, 15 and not enough with 1 Peter 4, 8. But love covers a multitude of sins. Churches can be so hard-nosed. People can be so legalistic on every issue. And you know my heart on that. Are ethical things important? Our church, have we've had to walk down that road here as your pastor, right? We've had to do church discipline. But folks... Paul is talking about here bearing up with each other with all of our flaws, weaknesses, quirkiness, and sins. Why? Because our Father in Heaven bears up with us day after day and year after year. Love covers a multitude of sin. Let's operate with this particular principle of bearing up with each other. There are times when you just have to say, Lord, i got to back off. I love... Help me, Lord, to love this person like you love them. When's the last time you prayed that in your own Life. When Paul starts this ethical section, isn't it interesting that he starts right here in the body? Folks, do y'all realize how important this is for our church? Some churches never get past not being able to be patient, forbearing, and loving one another. It's almost as if they've never met Jesus to begin with. Because when you meet him, there's a difference in your life. And your response should look more like Christ than it does like the world. Do you want a worthy walk? Do you want to magnify the calling to which you've been called? Then walk with humility. Think about others more than yourself. Walk in gentleness. Be considerate with one another. Be willing to yield your so-called rights for the good of others. And walk with patience and long-suffering toward people. We all need 
a good pervasive work of Christ in our hearts on dispositions and attitudes. Instead of going to someone else in the church and talking about what a difficulty someone is, why don't you ask God to help you love that person? Because they're your brother and sister. What you do when you go talk to someone else is you think you're gaining ammo. You, you think you're gaining ammo, but really, you're hurting yourself. And you're hurting the body of Christ. Instead of gathering ammo against the person, pray for patience, gentleness, the ability to bear up. I'm telling you, folks, this kind of attitude and these dispositions can transform this church. Need, I say, to transform the whole world. So here's what we need. We need to be people who repent and forgive and seek for fresh grace as we try to walk worthy of this calling. Let's not forget that our Heavenly Father is very concerned about how we treat one another. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Next week, we're going to talk about being united, maintaining unity, and bound together with peace. And then, next year, literally, January, we'll start back with united together with gospel confession. One Lord, one baptism. We're united in Christ-like character. We're united with our confession. We'll start that, okay? So we got one more sermon in Ephesians, uh, and it's going to be about unity and peace. Isn't that wonderful? We'll do that next week. Perhaps you're here today and you don't have peace with God. I can tell you that's your greatest need today, peace with God. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, and I know that name means a lot, right, will be saved. Maybe you're a Christian, and there's someone in this church that you've had ought against, or there's a relationship that's strained and you know it. Well, folks, we need to get that right. That's the purpose of the sermon. It's called application. It's obedience. Trust and obey. Right? No other way. Let's pray. Father, help us. God, help me. Lord, help all of us. Lord God, with all humility and patience. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Forbearing. Putting up with. Forbearing with one another in love. God, help us. Help us, Lord God, in, in this church body to do just that. Let us have the character of Christ pervasive in all of us. And Lord, if someone is lost today, like Brother George started off this service, God, would you intercept them? Would you interpose your precious grace into their lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the
praise the Lord. Surely glad you were here today. May the Lord bless you. Look forward to this week. Uh, we uh, wide open in our practices with Back to Bethlehem. And uh, we, last Sunday night, we had all the cast sitting on, a, on, a, on bleachers. And I would say a third of them were new people. Isn't that awesome? God is truly growing our church through people being saved and just adding to our church as well. And uh, we are, Don, have I got something I got to say? Tell people about the office door. We see that emails, but that is a new change that's starting tomorrow. About the office. Where is my office? I don't have any idea. No, seriously. <laughs> We've been all over the place. So if you come to the church to visit the office, don't come to the back or to the gym anymore. You can come to the front, okay? By the flagpole. Park out by the flagpole out right there, yeah. Door number one. They actually have numbers on them nowadays, right? So when you come in, uh, they'll have it to where you can be diverted straight into the new office space over there, okay? And bear with us. We, we got books stacked everywhere. We got stuff everywhere. If you want to come help, well, yeah, come on. Bearing with love, right? No, seriously. So does that clear it up? If you come to the church, the offices come to the front, okay? All right, God bless you. Would you sing this with me one more time? Get this in our mind. Walk worthy of the cross. May I walk worthy of the cross. Worthy of the cross. May I glory in the sacrifice you made. Lord, may I never be ashamed of the cross that bears your name. My riches came. I count it all.